Hi folks, Curtis Shelburne here, and welcome to the Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. A good place just to be and breathe and hang out for a while as we share some words about life in Christ. And that's all of it, I think. Life, that is. The good, the bad, the fun, the sad, the deepest joys, the toughest sorrows. All of it. I think we're going to have a good time, and I hope you enjoy this. I hope you tell your friends about it, and I hope you come back. This episode, episode number 14, is called, So Bob, Would You Hand Me That Thingamajig? I'm not absolutely sure that's the best title in the world, but I hope it gets your attention. I remember one of Robert Fulgham's books. The title was, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It. I don't remember a whole lot about the book, but I'll never forget the title, so I guess it worked. Anyway, we'll talk about the thingamajig in just a bit. I hope you and yours are doing well. As I'm recording this, we are still in the midst, and I hope we're at least in the middle. We don't know what midst means in this regard of the coronavirus pandemic. It's changed a lot of things for sure, made a lot of things difficult, made a lot of people sick, some worse than that. One of the strangest things about it is how differently it affects people. Oh, there's certainly some similarities, but I know, and you probably do too, a number of folks who tested positive for it who had no symptoms at all. Some of them are not so sure that they really even had it. You'd have to work pretty hard to convince them. Others have taken a test that was positive and then a test very quickly afterward that was negative. It kind of makes you wonder about the test. Some people are just asymptomatic the whole way through. You know they've told us some people are asymptomatic early on, which makes it dangerous. And I know some people who have said, boy, I had it. I knew I had it, and you don't want it. And so all of the above, and then it's hit different areas harder than some other areas in our world and in our nation. And so it's really an uncertain time. I hope things are getting better where you are, and I pray for God's care and protection over you in your life. I pray that in the midst of the difficulty, God will do what he always does best in difficulty, and that is teach us something. It'd be a shame to go through all of this and not learn anything, wouldn't it? We've just started school here. I pray that that go well. I pray it go well where you are. Lots of folks are sending their kids back to school. There are a number who've decided not to. Different school districts are handling this differently. And it seems to me like that's probably a good thing because the situation is a bit different wherever you may live. Anyway, it's uncertain, but we're getting through it. And I pray that God will give you a spirit of confidence and of peace and that none of us will give in to total fear in this thing and live our lives that way. It's not a good way to live life. And if we're God's people, we don't have to. If you know me, if you've read much of what I've written, if you've listened to much of what I've broadcasted, podcasted, or sent out in all sorts of ways, you know I love words. Oh, I love words. I like to find just the right word if I can. That's what writers are always trying to do, to pick just the right word that fits in its location, to see a tree that you can plant in the middle of a forest that will grow beautifully there and be just exactly what you want to set things off. A beautiful word. I love the fact, I don't think it's an accident, that Jesus, God's own son, is called the Word. He's the Logos. He's the reason that holds everything together. I love what God has done with that most beautiful word of all, and I love what we can do with words. Some of them are beautiful, some of them are sublime, 
Some of them are just right, and some are just kind of funny. We're in a political season right now, and I'm sure you've noticed that. And so, well, I'm looking forward to November about like I would look forward to a root canal. I've said that before. I don't want to be too political at all. There's no point in making anybody mad. But if I make everybody mad, I feel a little bit justified, I suppose. And nobody can accuse me of being too partisan. So I'll just tell you right now, I don't know how you feel. I love you, however you feel about it. But I think our choices right now, if you would really enjoy a choice, presidentially speaking, between an inoperable brain tumor and chronic hemorrhoids, you should love the election coming up in November. Wow. Anyway, it's coming. I said something the other day on, I guess, the last episode of this podcast where I talked about the two candidates filibustering. I like that word. Isn't that a nice word? It just has a nice sound to it. It's fun to say. I like the way it rolls off the tongue. Filibuster. Now, it may bring up in your mind images of too long sermons and that sort of thing. Let's don't go there. But it also, in my mind, brought up another word, filibluster. And isn't that great? You take a great word, you tweak it just a bit, and there's a good one, filibluster. Well, during this election season, we're going to hear a lot of filibustering. I know it brings to mind, I'm afraid, images of long sermons, and I don't think we should go there. It brings to mind some things that aren't that pleasant, but the word just sounds great. I love that word. Good bit of filibustering going on right now on both extremes of the political spectrum. Sometimes the filibustering is absolutely frustrating and maddening. Sometimes it's just kind of ironic that it makes you think so much, as the people who are busy filibustering have evidently not thought a whole lot at all. It was funny, a few years ago, we were up in a beautiful part of the country enjoying some wonderful time with some great friends. I was up there to do some business, really, but we were having a great time with these amazingly good folks. They took us to church with them. I knew it'd be a little bit different. I mean, you always see a little bit of a different perspective whenever you go to any church that you've not attended before. I knew the denomination of the church. I had a little bit of a picture in my mind of what it might be like. We walked in and we were warned, we have a guest preacher today and we really don't know what to expect. Yeah, they had a guest preacher and the man spoke and he had an interesting story to tell. Evidently, he'd spent some time in jail at one point or another because of some protesting that he'd done. May I just say that the good news is he really had strength of convictions, enough strength of his convictions that he spent a little time in jail because of that protest. I want to say this nicely, but I guess I should just say I really am not on the same page with him politically. I wasn't then, I'm not now. I try to be somewhat moderate, but he was definitely on the left end of things and pretty extreme on that end of things, it seemed to me. The interesting thing to me was, though, how he introduced his sermon. He said, I don't want to be political today. There is no place in the pulpit for politics. And he indicated we are to share God's message, God's word. We are to give not the message of the preacher, but the message that the Lord gives the preacher, etc., and all of those things. I think he felt that way. I, I'm sure he did. But he said, I don't want to be political. This is not political. This is a matter of morality. This is what I believe God would have me say today. And he went on to preach an incredibly politically left sermon. 
The interesting thing about that was that I realized pretty quickly into the message that as far as his introduction went, a preacher on the opposite end from him, on the far, far right, could have, and probably that very morning thousands of them were, saying exactly the same thing. This is not political. I don't mean to be political. This is just the message that God has put on my heart. This is about morality. This is about faith. And here we go. And off they would go, filibustering. On opposite ends of the spectrum, both saying that their words were absolutely blessed by God, and anybody with a lick of sense who was a Christian and who had any real faith at all would believe exactly the same thing. Well, I doubt it but it made me think. Words matter, and they sure are interesting. I've told you before that a number of years ago, I wrote a book entitled How to Measure a Rainbow. That title in this day and age may not say too much, and I'm not sure I'd use that title in this day and age. I don't want to be political here, but I liked it when rainbows were not co-opted by any group for their agenda. Rainbows were just considered beautiful, and that's exactly the way I still consider them. It said, celebrating the colors of God's love. That was the subtitle. That might lead you in the wrong direction these days, or the direction I certainly did not intend. Actually, it's a book that is based on the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. It's not at all commentary-like. It's more story-like. In fact, one of the best reviews that I saw, the one that really lit me up when the book came out, was one in which the writer called me a great storyteller. Well, I love that. I don't know that she was right. I've never considered myself to be a great storyteller, but I can't imagine any kind of a description that would be better in my mind. I love that description. And so the chapters are chapters in which I've taken what I consider to be the main point of a particular section of Ephesians and then told some stories about it. You might enjoy the book. It's available at my website, www.curtisshelburn.com. It's there, and I'd love for you to take a look and see what you think about it. It's also available on Amazon.com. It is available on Amazon as a Kindle book in ebook format. Dirt cheap right there, may I say. And now it's available as an audiobook on Amazon and also on Audible.com, iTunes, and in some other places. And I read that myself. It was what you call long-form narration. Wow, it takes a lot of work to do a book-length narration. I've done a number of them, and I'll tell you more about some of the rest of them later, but my own book was one of them. If you're interested, check it out and see what you think. You'll find a five-minute sample there, and so you can listen to some of it and get a little bit of an impression about whether or not you think you might enjoy it. Thanks a bunch. And now, let's focus on faith. Thingamajig, doohickey, dilly bob, what's it? Those are, of course, all words we use to refer to things for which we are unsure of the actual word, if there is one, for the thingamajig in question. There, at this point, I had written thingamajig twice in the original manuscript, and my spell checker had thus far resisted the impulse 
do spell checkers have impulses, to squiggle a red line under the word, thereby calling my spelling into question. Thingamajig is evidently now a bona fide word for something we don't know the word for. Ditto for doohickey. Yeah, but Dillybob and What's It still get red squiggles, at least in my page-making program. My kids make fun of me, by the way. They think that I'm quite an Anglophile, and I guess they're right. If you look at our family history, we're pretty British all the way through. That's where we come from. Did the Ancestry DNA thing a while back, and it was funny that it uh, really confirmed all of that. Anyway, somehow I got hold of a page-making program. It's Adobe's Creative Suite 6. I haven't gone to their monthly subscription thing yet. I'm still using the old one because I don't want to pay for a monthly subscription, and it works just fine. But this is an English version. And so I get red squiggles in strange places, at least strange by American English standards. I will get a red squiggle under the word color, C-O-L-O-R, because my program wants me to write C-O-L-O-U-R. It's not that big a problem. I really think, no matter where you wrote it, whether it was in the English version or the American English version, you know, I mean the British English version or the American English version, that Dilly Bob and What's It would probably get squiggles. Anyway, I usually write these columns using that page-making program, which, like its owner, tends to straddle American and British English spelling a bit. My particular copy of InDesign prefers A-N-A-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A for anesthesia over A-N-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A. And so it puts in the A. I started to say an extra A. It's not an extra A if you prefer British English. Someone might wisely say, well, just go ahead and anesthetize your spell checker. Turn it off. Yeah, but you got a problem before you do that because you've got to decide if you're going to use the A or the E on anesthetize. What's more, you have to decide if you're going to use a Z or an S, depending on which English you choose to follow in this regard. So I often double-check the spell check whenever that red squiggle appears. The S will do it in my particular version of InDesign. Well, as I was writing initially, I went on a bit from there and checked the spell check. The gate arms swung up and watch it strode right on past the spell check checkpoint. Dilly Bob was still being held at the border, though the Urban Dictionary, not, I admit, the highest authority, recognizes the usefulness of Dilly Bob. The Oxford English Dictionary, a very high authority, must be dilly-dallying and hasn't given Dilly Bob its official papers yet. Still, you know what I mean when I use the word. We really do need words for thingamabobs, whatchamacallits, doodahs, and hoobajubes. Sea of red squiggles, as I recall, when I wrote those, but I'll stake my English degree that these what's-it-name words for things unknown or as yet unnamed exist to answer rather creatively, and with a touch of heart-tickling whimsy, a real need. The language would be much poorer without them. The fact is, we need a whatchamacallit word for a lot of things that are not yet named. We need a word for the crunchy little tidbit left on a corn dog stick when the dog is doggone. 
And along that line, what about a word for that little smidge of chocolate sticking to an ice cream stick until you lick it off? I mean, that is the last thing you lick off, really, when you're working with an ice cream stick, correct? Don't we all do that? What about a word for that disgusting little puff of smelly air that hits you in the face when, after delaying a bit too long, you bag the kitchen trash and then lean over and pull the plastic drawstring tight? Poof. Well, I think it should be a garpoof, but that's just me. Often you discover that a word really does exist for the what's-it you wondered about. It was a fine moment when author Madeline Lingle taught me that dragon droppings are called fumets, F-E-W-M-E-T-S. I have really inspired my grandchildren with that little bit of wisdom. I think inspired's the word. It's a shame to accidentally step into something and not know its official name. Now I am fumetically safe. And boy, that word will bring up some red squiggles. And is there a one-word description for a dweeb with a weird sense of humor? I guess so. See dweeb, D-W-E-E-B. Or dork, or nerd, maybe doofus. I stepped right into that one, but I'm still smiling. Words can sting a little, or a lot. But they can also morph wonderfully into delightful whimsy and they can fly to heights of breathtaking beauty and awe-inspiring mystery. And yes, sometimes you just need a word and don't have one. But our Heavenly Father knew exactly what this world needed when, out of infinite love, He sent us His Son, the Word. Well, again, thank you for joining us on this Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us, and I hope you'll come back and spend some time with us again. If you like it, why don't you tell some friends about it? Sure would appreciate it. Have a great day.